Well, good morning for Northeast by Midwest. This is Jonathan Jones. Well, my friends, how's the new week going? It's a new week, <clears throat> new day, new week, new opportunities. But today, I think it's time to sacrifice some sacred cows. Yep, let's sacrifice some sacred cows. So what would you say are some sacred cows? Now, we could uh, think of those uh, in our culture. We could think of them in our own lives. I'm thinking specifically of the church. Growing up in the church my whole life, thinking of some sacred cows that I have seen. Um, And I'm not saying these are the only ones. I'm hoping to do a few podcasts down the road with uh, at least one, maybe a couple friends of mine. So we'll circle back around to this. And I suppose in one sense it could be a very uh, controversial one, right? (laughs) Because different people have different things that are sacred to them. But I think by and large there are some sacred cows that uh, I think stand out. So here's a couple of them. First off, in Christianity, the Bible is the Word of God. It is the authority, not the church. Not the pastors, uh, not even the congregation. The ultimate authority is derived from the Word of God. The Bible says that the Word of God was breathed out by God. 2 Timothy chapter 3. All scripture is given by God and is breathed out. Theonoustos. It's His words. By and large in Christendom, that's not disagreed upon. One of the sacred cows, though, is the version of the Bible. Different people have different versions. Some people believe that one version is above another version. Uh, For instance, like the King James Version of the Bible. There's so many people, even some that I have and hold as dear friends, that believe that is the only version of the Bible. And for my brothers and sisters that believe that, or for those that maybe believe the NIV, or at our church we use the ESV, the English Standard Version, or the New American Standard, or the New King James, and the list goes on. You know, it's interesting, within the pages of the text of Scripture, starting in Genesis 1 and ending in Revelation 22, there's no mention of any specific version of the Bible. Because the Bible was ultimately written in three languages. It was written in Hebrew in the Old Testament, a little bit in Aramaic in the books of Nehemiah, a little bit in Esther, and a couple of others in the Old Testament. But by and large, it's written in Hebrew, a little bit of Aramaic, and then the New Testament's written in Greek. And for any one of you that know languages, you you just don't get a one-for-one always in language. And so when we come from an Eastern language, such as those, especially, I should say, Hebrew, uh, Greek, uh, can come over to English a little bit more, you're going to have some real challenges in translation. Not that we can't understand the Bible or it's not God's Word. Of course it is, absolutely. And we, you know, when we, when we read our modern translations, we have a wonderful record of the Word of God. And so literally we're reading God's inspired Word in our language. I have no doubt about that. But I do have doubts that we have not sacrificed the sacred cow of our own favorite or preferred version. When the Bible itself does not describe that. So something to think about. I'm not uh, attacking uh, anyone per se, but I am challenging us to think. We all have a version of the Bible we enjoy the most. In fact, my probably my favorite is the Net Bible, done by the uh, you know Seminary of Dallas Theological Seminary. 
love that version. But it's kind of too big to carry around and, you know, it parses out every Greek and Hebrew word, which is kind of cool, but it's not really easy for daily use. So we need, we've got to think about the sacred cow of the versions of the Bible, you know, there's a, and there's a lot of other good versions. Uh, maybe some of you use the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible. I really like that. The, re- the reality is there, there is no version mentioned in the text of Scripture. I've heard arguments for uh, for and against different versions, and some versions are better than others, no doubt about that. But the reality is there's no one version that's better than all of them. Uh, they, they all give us a beautiful picture, ultimately, of you know what, what God intends for us. And so that's one of the reasons I try to use different versions as I read and study. So I want us to think about that. Do some of us maybe need to sacrifice that, that sacred cow? Here's another one. How about music? You know, growing up uh, in the Mennonite church, and I'm very thankful for that, uh, we sang um, only hymns with no accompaniment. And to this day, I love hymns. Um, I sing them, we sing them in our church, and I think we always should. The Bible says to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, speaking to one another in spiritual songs. And, and so we need to do that. We have an entire book, let alone an entire section of the Bible dedicated to music. You know, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon are all hymnonic in their originality. And, and the book of Psalms is literally all psalms they used to sing that's a commentary on Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So the Bible, probably uh, close to a, a quarter for sure, if not a third of the Bible, is written in some sort of meter and rhyme relating to music. And yet within our churches, even today, Probably not as much in 2022, but it's still there. We have so much fight over what kind of music is the right kind of music. Only to sing hymns. Only to sing praise and worship. Only to do this, only do that, only do the other. And I think the reality is the Bible will tell us that we need to sing a new song. We, we, we see that in, the, in Revelation, that they sang a new song to the Lamb. So new songs are, are always good and always needed because there's, there's new things God is doing. And, and, and most of the songs we sing are songs of stories of someone's life, uh, hymns, you know, How Great Thou Art, Trust and Obey. Um, you know, I could go on and on and Rescue the Perishing, the list goes on. Um, and wonderful songs that I love and, and I will always love, you know. Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. And there's stories behind these songs. In most cases, the reasons they were written, holy, 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 there was someone who had a story. Uh, for instance, Reginald Heber wrote the song. Um, I, I think it was holy, holy, holy. If it wasn't, there's another one he wrote. Um, so I'm trying to remember off the top of my head if that's right or not. But anyway, uh, the, the song he wrote, um, he, he ended up preaching and then he died. And I mean, what a, you know, what a reminder. We would have never had it if his widow didn't find the song. And so, you know, the reality is, friends, that most songs and different kinds of music weren't even about that. You know, when we went to Africa, it was amazing for a lot of at least Americans that fight about, well, we shouldn't have a, a, a drum in church or we shouldn't have guitars or, you know, it's too rocky or it's too, you know, too silent or whatever. I mean, you go to Africa, it's incredible. Those of you that listen to this might be from Africa. Worshiping with you was, was one of the joys of my life. 
watching watching you folks dance and not in an ungodly way at all it was incredible i mean david danced before the lord so i think when it comes to to worship and singing we've got a lot to learn and when we get to heaven someday we're going to be reminded when every tribe tongue and nation is there um, the way we sing and the way we worship is very different and so it doesn't mean that if you are more comfortable singing hymns that you should stop no not necessarily or praise and worship but the reality is you and I should recognize that we might have some sacred cows in our convictions, and that's fine. There's liberty in Christ for that, but that doesn't mean we should impose it on someone else. So maybe there's a sacred cow there for each of us we need to think about. You know, one of my favorite songs, Matt Redman, when he, when he writes, uh, When the music fades and all is stripped away, and I simply come longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart, I'll bring you more than a song. For a song in itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper within, through the way things appear. You're looking into my heart. I'm coming back to you, to the heart of worship, Jesus. It's all about you. It's all about you. In the heart of worship, Matt Redmond's church had canceled their music for three months. And they were very contemporary back in the late 90s. Probably very controversial. Matt would also later write 10,000 Reasons. Many of us have sung that or at least know the song. And Matt's church did something maybe a lot of our churches should do. And they didn't sing for three months. They just showed up and preached and prayed. And out of that, Matt wrote, I'm coming back to the heart of worship, Jesus. It's all about you. It's all about you. And so maybe there's a sacred cow for us, whether we sing contemporary worship or, or hymns. One of my concerns with much of many of the new songs is they can be almost too repetitive, where they're almost like a mantra. And yet, I don't want to only sing the old songs because there's a new generation that they need to write songs of what God's doing in their life. And so there has to always be a balance, singing old and new songs. We have the Old and New Testament, right? <clears throat> so there's some sacred cows there maybe we need to sacrifice. Now, there are many, many more. And I'm not suggesting that those are the top two. There's many others that I'd like to address, but I've got some friends down the road I'd like to bring on that... I think are probably way better at this than I am. But these are at least two, as I've grown up in the church, that have become major cannon fodder for the church, the versions of Scripture, and what kind of music do we sing. And you know, it's interesting, when it comes to music, I mean, there, there's quite a bit when you look in the book of Psalms. You know, there's timbrels, there's dance, there's harps, there's lyres, there's guitars, there's drums. Um, I'm not suggesting that we should use all of those things in our churches or that we shouldn't. I think each church is going to have to make up their decisions on that. But we also need to remember that sometimes we have to sacrifice the sacred cow. Maybe it's the version of the Bible. You know, I, I've seen so often where churches won't work together because one church doesn't use uh, their version of the Bible or the version they think they should use. And yet, if we all know Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior, we're part of the same kingdom. So just some things for us to think about. And, and I've been thinking in my own life, what are some sacred cows I have? I have some too. Some things that they're really, really important to me. And, 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 the, and they are important, but are they so important that I can prove them in the scripture? Or is it just something that's more of a, a preference? And I think that's what we have to think through, friends. Sometimes there are things that keep us apart from other people. No doubt about it. Doctrine for sure. Doctrine does divide. But sometimes we also have these sacred cows. These things that they're important, 
but they're not what we would call closed-handed issues that should make us separate. They're open-handed issues that are important and preferential, and we might have a conviction about it, but a conviction is not doctrine. Sometimes they coincide, but by and large, they don't always. So some things to think about. What would you say some sacred cows are to you, to the church, to our culture, to our world? For Northeast by Midwest, my name's Jonathan Jones. I'm trying to sacrifice a few of my sacred cows. How about you? Have a great day.